Episode 52, What's Next? Understanding what's now arriving and what's just over the horizon. Read by your author, David Koff. Well, it's been a while. Thank you for your patience. I'm usually introspective when the year ends and a new year begins. It's a good time to take stock and examine where I am in regards to my relationships. We humans are both blessed and cursed in that ability. Trees and animals don't compare themselves to other members of their species, but we do. We're unique in that way, and it's an essential part of what makes us human. So I embrace it, especially at this time of year, because my yearly review also includes my relationship with, and in some cases, dependency on technology. Over the past 35 years, I've gone from being a technology novice, to a hobbyist, to an enthusiast and an evangelist, to a paid technology professional at a Fortune 100 company, to becoming an advocate for privacy and security, to now writing columns and newsletters about technology so that as many people as possible can educate themselves. This past year, I finally made peace with the understanding that our species is determined and well on its way to merging our humanity with our technology. That's kind of a big statement, so let me unpack it a bit. Same goals, new tools. Let me start by eliminating what is not a part of my newfound understanding. Lifelike robots that can mimic our human emotions, self-driving cars and trucks, and self-driving planes, or self-landing rockets, or entire space launch systems. Augmented reality, also called AR. Virtual reality, also called VR. And digital human clones, or deep fakes. Although if I did, this one linked here would be my absolute fave. You see, to me, these technologies are natural extensions of our species' long-standing fascination with and adoption of technology over many thousands of years. Don't believe me? Read this. Worker bees. Earlier in our evolution, we depended not only on each other, but on help from the animals around us to get things done. Dogs helped guard us at night. Donkeys help till our land to grow food. Horses provide transportation. Bees provided honey and valuable pollination to help secure our crops. The development of large-scale farming led to our using tractors and eventually computers attached to those tractors. Now we have all kinds of helpers in our lives, from robotic vacuums to automated coffee makers, from voice-activated lighting systems to auto-sensing thermostats, which can sense when we're around and then keep our living environments comfortable. Robots that can stand, talk, emote, and eventually help us physically and emotionally, well, those are merely extensions of our original desire to find tools to help us lead easier lives. Capturing reality. Before art, there was light and shadow. Early humans danced around the fire and took delight in their shadows from a central source of light. Painting and drawing emerged and became the original methods to record and capture the light and shadows that we saw in the world around us. Later, 
came light sensitive film and then still cameras to capture even more lifelike moments of people and locations. Then came motion picture cameras, which captured movement and flow and helped create an even more immersive experience. Now, every one of you reading and listening to these words has a video camera in your pocket to use at a moment's notice to record anything you like. Augmented reality and virtual reality are merely extensions of our original desire to explore the world in newer and in ever more realistic and fantastical ways. Transportation. Humans originally used other animals to help us move things from one place to another. Mules helped to transport goods and belongings. Horses helped us to transport ourselves from one place to another. Suddenly our ability to roam expanded exponentially. The wheel was refined, placed on carriages, and then hitched to those horses. Now we could carry ourselves, our families, and even some of our supplies with us over much longer distances. Next came trains and steam-powered locomotion. Once the internal combustion engine was created and refined, early cars were born, and with them, roads on which to drive. Self-driving cars and trucks are merely extensions of that original desire to travel as far as possible with as little energy expended as possible. Automated flights and space travel are no different. So hopefully you can see it now. Our desire to use tools to help us live our lives has not changed in millennium. However, the tools that we've used to accomplish that goal have. The machines within. Starting in the late 1950s, we passed the intersection where the tools we used were located only on the outside of our human bodies. The humble pacemaker placed inside its first patient back in 1958 is now estimated to have saved millions of lives. In 1982, the first artificial heart called the Jarvik 7 was implanted in Dr. Barney Clark to help extend or save his life. He survived for another 112 days with a machine in his body, pumping his blood for him. Today, these technologies are far more commonplace. But what about those that aren't? A dear friend of mine with early onset Parkinson's disease underwent surgery just six weeks ago and had a device embedded in his brain. That device, called a deep brain implant, connects to a series of wires that run into another device located under his clavicle. That device then interacts with his phone via Bluetooth, and he can use it to change the types, the time cycles, and the intensity of the electrical charge that those wires provide to his brain. That's right. He's got something like a pacemaker for his brain. Or how about a computer chip embedded at the end of a partially amputated arm with wires leading up from the chip into his brain? How about that chip allowing the patient who hasn't actually had hands in 25 years to be able to, quote, feel, unquote, textures and surfaces in his brain as he moves a virtual reality hand 
in a computer screen simulation over different types of various textures. Yep, humans made that happen. How about a computer chip placed in the brain that recently allowed, as of December 2021, a paralyzed man to send out a tweet using his thoughts? Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. That just happened. How? Well, the link I've embedded here explains a bunch of it. But honestly, I didn't read all of it because I was too damn shocked by what they'd achieved. Tweeting using thoughts. But there's more. Computerized implants for your eyes to help the blind see? Done. Computerized implants to help the deaf hear? Done. Implanted subcutaneous microchips to help store critical information or interact with the physical world around us? You guessed it, done. And that's just, pardon the pun, scratching the surface. My list does not include technologies like lab-grown organs, bioengineered skin, artificial limbs, and more. All of which is to say, not only is this trend of merging our bodies with our technology not going away, but it's also accelerating, and quickly. More quickly, in fact, than you or I probably realize. Ray Kurzweil, the noted inventor and futurist, says that 2029, is the year in which computers will possess human level intelligence and that 2045 is the year when we'll permanently merge with the interconnected computerized superintelligence that we have created. Whoa. All of which begs a very important question. Is this good or bad? Good, bad, kind, evil, on, off. To me, these are oversimplified binary states of thinking. Reality, of course, is always far richer than just two states of being. Like reality, tools are neither good nor bad. They're just tools. In most cases, I'm of the belief that it's how we use our tools that truly matters. We can, for example, use a hammer to build a house bang out dents on a car, or bash in someone's skull. Now, these may be extreme examples, but it illustrates my point, that we're merging our humanity with computers isn't really the issue. The issue is how we're doing it, and for what ultimate purpose. Personally, I'm excited about the possibility of having the entirety of the internet accessible immediately by our brains. <laughs> cool. There's a very good chance that having this kind of immediate access to vast troves of information about humanity will help us become a superintelligent, collaborative species. Instead of only having personal experience, some education, and emotions to guide us, we'll now also have immediate access to thousands of years of accumulated and recorded data. That combination of interconnectedness with one another and with all of recorded history will, I believe, transform society in powerfully positive ways. But arriving at that future will absolutely require a deep examination of our morals, ethics, and principles. 
I may assume, for example, that a human mind that is connected to the internet will of course choose what's best for most sentient life because it deeply understands the interconnectedness of all things. But that's an assumption. And it's most likely flawed because of my privilege and standing in society. So what if I'm wrong? What if early adopters, most of whom will most assuredly be wealthy and powerful, use their newfound singularity to corrupt and control the world around them. After all, humanity has a very long track record of the wealthy and powerful doing whatever it took to stay wealthy and powerful. I don't have an answer to that question. Currently, I don't know if anyone does either. Therefore, we'll need guidelines, oversight, and accountability. Positive futures require definite roadmaps. Some of us might finally fondly recall the writings of the great Isaac Asimov and suggest that his three laws of robotics might be a possible roadmap. First law, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Second law, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, some scientists and roboticists don't believe that Asimov's laws are enough to protect humans. Instead of promoting laws in robots' DNA, as did Asimov, they would instead promote concepts like empowerment and adaptability. It's a fascinating debate, but it's missing something critical. By only focusing on the behavior of robots, both Asimov and the current crop of futurists are ignoring how to help govern the behavior of partially merged humans and tech. Having read all of Asimov's robot and foundation novels, I cannot recall any partially or fully merged humans and robots in his canon. This is curious given that Asimov and others surely understand that technology was and is being inserted into millions of human bodies. This is precisely why I go back to my notion of how we humans use our machines. As Peter Singer correctly pointed out in this article from 2009, quote, we need to start wrestling with the ethics of the people behind the machines, unquote. He has some powerful questions in this article. For example, where's the code of ethics in the robotics field for, what's get, for what gets built and what doesn't? Who gets to use the sophisticated systems that we build and who doesn't? Are there technologies that should only be limited to the military? These are good questions. Although Singer isn't discussing the merging of humans and machines, I think questions like these are an important first step in the conversation, but they honestly aren't enough. This is why I'd now suggest that we add the following questions to discuss as a culture, as a nation, and as a species. One, what groups of people should be allowed to create the code of ethics in the robotics field? How will we ensure that these people represent enough cultures, languages, races, and socioeconomic backgrounds to better serve all of humanity? 
Two, what global and national oversight organizations will be established to assure that the code of ethics is being implemented, safeguarded, and improved over time? What power will they have to punish those who violate our code of ethics? Three, what fail-safes should be built into any technology designed for implantation into a human body? Four, what sets of checks and balances must be established to ensure that any technology surgically inserted can be proven successful by the patient, not just the surgeon? Five, what credentials, training, or certifications will be required for anyone who implants technology into a human body? Six, what repair and update capabilities will be required in the technology that we place in our bodies? Seven, what kinds of security protocols must be in place to help ensure that no implant can be used to track, record, or otherwise violate the privacy of the human into which it's inserted? And what kinds of checks must be available for the patient to be certain of this? And then finally, eight, how will we share the cost of the technologies and the surgeries as a species to ensure that those without funds are not left behind? What happens now? Given our current trajectory, we will most certainly continue to merge both our lives and our bodies with technology. That much is certain. We therefore have a choice. Do we start having the kinds of crucial conversations that we need to have right now, or do we wait to have them? Some notable people have already begun to ask questions and provide possible alternatives and solutions. Tristan Harris is one of the preeminent thinkers in this space. If he looks familiar, it might be because you saw him recently in the documentary, The Social Dilemma. As a result of his working within the bowels of big tech, Mr. Harris stepped away from the business focus of tech to create the Center for Humane Technology, an organization focused on creating a more sane and safe world for humans to interact with tech. Tristan and his center have already begun asking good questions and proposing good initiatives. More are needed, not just from Mr. Harris, but also from all of us. And so, dear friends, now is the time for all good humans to come to the aid of their species. Yes, we're all busier than ever. Yes, we're more distracted than ever. Yes, we all seek to escape and relax more than ever. But we'd be wise to remember the future doesn't create itself. We create it by what we do right now. Happy New Year. And that's a wrap for today's episode, everyone. Thanks again for subscribing and supporting independent technology journalism. Thank you in advance for using the link below to share Tech Talk with your friends, family, and colleagues. And as always, surf safe.